We all like it when something is consistent, when something is reliable. It's good to know that something is steady and certain, isn't it? As a kid, you probably had things that were reliable in your life, and you didn't even think about it until maybe something changed. Maybe every day when you came home from school, your mother was in the kitchen waiting for you. And one day, she wasn't there. And you were taken aback by the break from your reliable routine. Now maybe it was something like the house always being nice and warm for you. Because in the morning, your father made sure that the wood-burning stove was properly filled and lit long before you awoke. Then maybe one morning... You think it feels a little chilly, and then maybe, if you're like me, you think, did I just see my breath? It's chilly in the house. You don't know what happened, and the routine was broken. You didn't realize what a luxury it was to have the reliable warmth that came from someone being steady and consistent. When a schedule gets off, you understand the benefits of having someone who can ensure that what is expected is being accomplished. Now, what a blessing it is that we have these type of reliable people in our lives. But how much greater is it that we have a God who is eternal and who is unchanging? The house could be cold in the morning when I was younger if something got off schedule. But today, when I woke up this morning, I did not have to wonder whether or not the sun was going to rise. When I stepped out of bed today, I had no doubt that God is good and that he is on his throne and that he works all things together for good for those who love him. These things are assured. And we see this not only revealed to us in creation through the rising and the setting sun and the change of seasons, we also see this in God's revealed word. We see the truth that God keeps his holy covenant. His promise to his people comes to pass. And we see this truth uttered from the lips of Zechariah as we continue our journey through the opening chapter of Luke this morning. As we prepare to dig in today, we're going to once again break the passage down into our three points. Now the first thing that we are going to see is that the child of Elizabeth and Zechariah is born. God had made this promise to Zechariah, and even though it seemed impossible, God has his hand upon Elizabeth And she not only conceived in her barren state and in her advanced years, but the child is born just as God had promised them. Secondly, we find that Zechariah is faithful to do what God had commanded him. The story of Zechariah took an interesting turn earlier on in this chapter of Luke when Zechariah asked the angel Gabriel for a sign. You'll remember back, instead of getting a flash in the sky as a sign or something else that you and I would expect as a sign, the sign the angel gave was that Zechariah would be made mute so that he could not speak until the child arrived. And here we see that Zechariah is faithful to do what God told him when he names the child. And finally, we see that Zechariah proclaims the glory of God And he speaks of the great promises of God. With his tongue loosed, he breaks forth to mightily speak of who God is and what he has done, and he tells us what his son John is going to do to the glory of God. 
And so as we land in our first point and look at verses 57 and 58, it would do us well to have a bit of a refresher on the story as we have seen Luke tell it to us. The story has moved back and forth between the impending arrival of John the Baptist and then with the announcement and the impending arrival of Jesus. First, we had the announcement to Zechariah about John and then the announcement to Mary regarding Jesus. And then we had the two women come together at the home of Zechariah and Elizabeth where the unborn John the Baptist leapt in his mother's womb at the sound of Mary's voice. And Mary remained with Elizabeth for a substantial time and then returned to her home. And so now we have come to the point in the story where the first child that was promised is set to finally arrive. Our focus moves from the song of praise that we saw Mary utter last week now to the arrival of John the Baptist. And what we see is that what has been promised has come to pass. When the angel came to Zechariah, it was not a random promise of a child. It was the promise of a son. And we find that that is exactly what happens. We know the story, and it seems normal to us to hear this because we know the story from reading it before Christmas. But let's not move on to the next verse until we stop and remind ourselves of the beauty of the story here. Remember that Elizabeth was barren. She would have been seen as cursed in their culture because God had not given her a child. But we know that she was not barren because of some sin that she had committed. She was barren because God was going to bring glory to himself through her. She was to be a vessel to bring the one who would prepare the way of the Lord. And so when we think about this way in which God has ordained the story to take place, we see that she is going to go from being seen as someone who was cursed because she was barren. And now she's being seen as someone who is blessed. Imagine being someone who's a friend of Elizabeth, right? You love your friend Elizabeth. You care for her. But because of your cultural disposition... You would have always had a little thought in the back of your mind, wondering, what has she done that God won't give her a child? As much as you think highly of her, there would have been that idea in your head. And let's be honest, even in our culture, that is, that, that is so far removed from the time of Elizabeth, when someone has troubles in their life, there might be a part of us, right, that has judgmental thoughts in our minds, wondering, what did they do that these hard times have come upon them? But with Elizabeth, these thoughts that you might have had, suddenly there's a dramatic reversal. She is instead unbelievably blessed. You thought maybe she was cursed, but here, having a child after her womb has long been dead and has been barren, she is unbelievably blessed. God's hand is clearly upon her because God has so clearly visited her in her old age. It's not that she is finally able to have a child, and so God has not only broken down the barrier of barrenness, but the physical limitation that comes from age has also been broken. It is abundantly clear here that what the Gospel of Luke says here is true. God has shown great mercy to her, and ultimately it is a picture of, of the mercy that we are going to see displayed for us throughout the book of Luke. 
Because God is visiting his people in grace. And for Elizabeth, her womb was barren and dead, and God, in his mercy, brings it to life. A clear picture of the gospel for us. You and I are dead in our trespasses and sins and unable to bring ourselves to life, but God, in his mercy, visits us. He brings us to life. The faith that we have in Jesus is a sign that God has shown great mercy to us because we would never come to faith on our own. As I said, this is a picture of the gospel, and it points us forward to the continued mercy that we are going to see throughout the book of Luke that is displayed for us in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And just as we rejoice in God showing mercy to people, the neighbors and the relatives of Elizabeth rejoice. And well, shouldn't they? Isn't this the natural response to what we see in the life of Elizabeth? There is life, and it's clear that God has caused this life to come to be. What joy there is here. And as we move on to our second point in the next part of the passage, we're reminded of what happened when the angel proclaimed the promise to Zechariah. Now, even if you weren't able to be here this Sunday, we looked at this promise of the coming of John the Baptist. As I said before, you likely know the story well because of the connection to the Christmas story. Well, in that part of Luke, Zechariah questions the idea that his aged and barren wife can conceive. And so the angel puts him on mute. That's the sign. And Zechariah is still unable to speak. And you would have thought that the coming of John would have immediately put an end to the silence of Zechariah. But through the course of the story today, we find out that he is still muted. And it isn't because the angel Gabriel lost the TV remote in the cushions, right? There's a reason here. He will speak when God ordains him to speak. And so we find ourselves at a critical time in the life of any Hebrew child. It's the eighth day after the baby was born, and he is to be circumcised. And just like any family event, people have an opinion, right? They're about to declare the name of the child, and the folks who are gathered there think that his name should be the same as his father. Well, Elizabeth and Zechariah clearly had communicated well in spite of the muteness of Zechariah, and she tells the people gathered that his name is to be John. Well, again, everyone else has an opinion, and they don't seem to care what Elizabeth has to say. And really, they, they have a good reason. It, it makes more sense to give him the name of his father. It's a good, strong name with four syllables, right? It's a family name. And no one in their family has ever been named John. But Zechariah has something to say about the whole matter. Despite his inability to speak, he asks for a tablet and tells them the name that the angel had uttered to him. And, and the way this is described is kind of interesting. I, I sometimes, as you know, find humor in the way Bible stories are told. And this is one of those times. It says that they all wondered at this, right? Before his mouth is even opened, he says his name should be John, and they all wonder at it. Why? Because he can write on a tablet? What is the wonder about here? That's how it reads. But it's likely that they were amazed because Zechariah wants to break from the custom of naming a son after a father or a grandfather. And while the people wonder at this, we see that the mute button has been found. And Zechariah is released from his silence 
because he has followed the command of God. And so now his tongue is loosed, and so he brings praise to God. And he should, because at his advanced age, he is a father. He is someplace he likely never thought he would be. He is at the circumcision of his son. He is a father. And with the proclamation of praise by Zechariah, it tells us that the people are amazed, just as you and I would be. And a buzz begins to form. This child of Zechariah and Elizabeth must be something special, right? You'd, you'd think they would have been saying that when they saw an older woman walking around carrying a child. And they, they likely were. But now with the loosing of the tongue of Zechariah, they know, they know that this is a work of God. And no one knows this better than Zechariah. Because he heard the promise, he questioned the promise, he was silenced, and he was unable to share the promise. But now the promise has arrived. And as we move on to our final point, we see that he declares the wondrous works of God and he proclaims the word of the Lord. And he begins by praising God for visiting and redeeming his people. Now last week, I made an important point of what we saw in the proclamation of praise from Mary. Remember, remember the difference between Israel and her pagan neighbors. It was not that they were smarter or that they had figured out God on their own. The difference between Israel and their neighbors was that God had revealed himself to them. This was the only thing keeping them from pagan idolatry. God had spoken to them, and he had visited them. And this is always the only thing keeping us from idolatry and unbelief. The reason that we are here today worshiping the Lord of heaven and earth is not that you and I figured out the right stuff on our own. Instead, it is because we have heard the word of the Lord and the Holy Spirit visited us and gave us the gift of faith. That is why we are not idolaters. That is why we are not pagans. It has nothing to do with us. It's not from anything that you and I do, but it's because a horn of salvation has been raised up for us and God has visited us. Again, as we see so many times, the story of God saving his people is echoed, echoed over and over, over in the stories and proclamations in Scripture. What Zechariah is prophesying, what Zechariah is proclaiming, is not something new here today. As we see here, it is the promise of old. This horn of salvation is from the house of David and was spoken by the holy prophets of old. This is something new that God is doing, yes. But at the same time, it's what he's always done. He has rescued his people from their enemies, and he will rescue them because he is our God and we are his people. This is all about the grace and the mercy of God. God has promised it. And we see that it is about God keeping his holy covenant. He made a promise, and it wasn't a flippant thing. It was a covenant, a binding promise to his people that he would not forget. God keeps his covenant because he is God and he cannot lie. He has sworn this to his people. It's an oath and Zechariah calls us back to Abraham. Notice how much of the beginning of Luke has been calling back to the Old Testament. Not only in phrases like this one, but in the way that God ordains the stories to unfold. It's almost as if Luke 
under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is trying to let us know that this is all one big story. All one big story. That the coming of Jesus is about the promise that it goes all the way to the back, all the way back to the beginning of the Bible. This promise that one will come to crush the head of the serpent. This promise that this one will come from Abraham through, all, through whom all the nations of the earth will be blessed. In fact, that's the point here. That's the point. And notice what Zechariah says this will cause the people of God to do. When we see that he keeps his holy covenant and delivers his people... It enables us to serve him without fear. And this leads us to seek him in holiness and righteousness. Our deliverance and our salvation moves us to holy lives. In other words, the grace of God does not make us complacent. Instead, it causes us to see this amazing rescue that we have from God, and it flows out into our lives as righteous living before God. That is a life of peace, and it's a life lived without fear because we desire to please God and not man. And as the passage closes out, we see a proclamation about the son that has come from Zechariah and Elizabeth. John is going to be called a prophet. He's preparing the way of the Lord. Remember the anticipation that there would have been among the people at this time in history. They were expecting a Messiah. The prophecies of Daniel would have been plotted out. They'd have done the math. And they would have known that the Messiah was to come around this general time. They were expecting the Messiah. But as we see in the Gospels, the people, even his disciples, they are expecting a Messiah who's going to take out the Romans and restore the earthly kingdom of Israel. That's what the people are expecting. They're expecting an earthly king. But the words of Zechariah here let us know what the purpose of the one that John is preparing the way for really is. We see here at the beginning of the book what Jesus is coming to do. He is going to give us the knowledge of salvation. And this comes not from giving the Romans the boot, but from the forgiveness of their sins. And this comes from the tender mercy of God. The light of salvation is going to visit them. And they will no longer be in darkness and no longer in the shadow of death. But God will guide their way in the way of peace. And all this imagery here is, is Old Testament in nature. It's describing prisoners. And the idea being expressed here is that from the line of David will come the one who will bring them out of this darkness and will set them free. They're no longer trapped. They're going to be led into the light. Not on their own, but guided by God himself into the way of peace. And chapter 1 concludes and sets us up for what we've been anticipating since we started out in Luke. Because next week we come to the very familiar passage telling us those words we all know that a decree is going to come from Caesar Augustus that the world should be registered. But first, we have to be told about John and how he goes out into the wilderness. And what we're being told is that this John who has come to prepare the way of the Lord he is just like the prophets of old. He is out in the wilderness and he's preparing to be a witness to the word of the Lord to prepare the way of the coming Messiah. And so we are fully set up to have the arrival of the Lord next week. 
But what can we take out of the passage this week? What can we step out of here from the end of Luke today to take into the world to use as we serve God in the coming week? Well, the first thing that I want us to remember is that God daily offers us opportunities to continue to follow him in faith. The current flowing underneath this entire story is the previous unbelief of Zechariah. He has lived in silence for nine months. I don't know that I can keep silent for nine seconds. Can you imagine nine months? In our minds, his doubt disqualified him. And you and I would likely say, fine, if, if you don't believe this promise, there are plenty of people who can have a child. I'll move on. I'll find somebody who will believe the promise. But that's not what God did. Instead, God has used the unbelief of Zechariah to show his grace and mercy. And when the speech of Zechariah is restored, he proclaims the wonders of God. He proclaims the mercy and grace. And this is made apparent not only in the words of Zechariah, but in the way that he was restored. Zechariah proclaims the mercy of God because he has experienced the mercy of God. And daily, You and I experience the mercy of God. We fail daily to perfectly love God with all our hearts, minds, soul, and strength. We don't love our neighbor as ourselves, and yet God has mercy upon us. And so may the Spirit of God daily remind us of this grace that is bestowed on us. And may we be like Zechariah and proclaim the wonders of God as we grow in holiness and righteousness and in obedience to the one who has rescued us from sin, death, and hell. Secondly, may we remember that we serve a covenant-keeping God. As I said, you and I fail every day. We are covenant breakers. It's what we do. But we serve a covenant-keeping God. And there are so many applications for this as you and I strive to live faithfully in God's world. And these two things can fill us with hope and peace. So just two thoughts on the importance of understanding this. First, you and I often become discouraged as we look at the state of the world or at at what is going on in our lives. Doesn't it often feel as though things are out of control? I'm guessing, sitting where Zechariah sat in history, he would have struggled to see how God was at work because the Romans were in charge of them. They were God's people, and these pagan Romans are in charge? How could this possibly be what a covenant-keeping God would do? But now, on the other side of the story, what do we see? What do we know? Well, God kept his promise of the covenant of salvation. And through what the Roman Empire had established, the apostles are able to take the gospel into the world in a generation. Within a generation, the gospel had gone out to the world because of what the Romans had set up, because of the roads, because of the colonies. The gospel goes out in a generation. It seemed as though God wasn't at work, that God wasn't blessing his people, Israel. How could this possibly be what God is doing? But God used that to send the gospel out into the world. A first century Hebrew would have been discouraged, but God used that for the advancement of the gospel. Because he is a covenant-keeping God, 
And he used an unlikely means, but he kept his covenant promise, that promise that we've heard so many times, that through the one who will come from Abraham, all the nations of the world will be blessed. This happened through the means that God ordained for his gospel to go out into the world. God used the circumstances that they would have seen as negative to advance his kingdom. And we have another example, a beautiful example through what we're doing today. Now in the new covenant, we have two sacraments that remind us of God's covenant faithfulness to his covenant people. The Lord's Supper is the covenant meal, and baptism brings our covenant children into the covenant community of the visible church. Now today, we come to the fount, trusting and believing in our covenant God. And the story of Phelan coming to the font today is a picture for us of the gospel and of the promises of God to his covenant people. God has adopted us into his family by grace, and he has put his mark on us. We are his, and he keeps his promise to us. And so as we celebrate the joy of the baptism of Phelan, may we celebrate with joy our own baptism, for we have a covenant God who has always kept his promises to his people. May we live in the peace of the truth that in Christ we are the children of God. And it is all because we have a God who keeps his holy covenant. Amen.